They are guides, all guides, and in unexpected places. You'll meet their friendly faces, and a ready hand besides. There's not much danger of finding you're a stranger, for commissioner or ranger, they are guides. All guides. Hi, and welcome to Guides Own, the unofficial guiding podcast where we talk about everything guiding. I'm Taryn. And I'm Marissa. In this episode, we get swapping. We're talking about badges, pins, crests, and all things trading in the Girl Guide world. We'll also learn about former Girl Guide and Welsh racing legend Tani Gray Thompson and her journey to becoming a professional athlete. And as always, we'll finish off with a campfire song. This week, it's a traditional English song, the Sussex Campfire Opening. Ooh, that was a mouthful. I almost <laughs> didn't get that out. Yeah, um... I've always struggled with that one. I saw a lot of places when I was doing research just called it campfire opening, which is a much mm-hmm. easier thing to say. Um, but I think like because it. there's so many, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I think because there's so many campfire openings that it's hard. You have to distinguish, but yeah, yeah. definitely. But Sussex is a hard word to start with. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, what if it's just because? Like, we're from, like, we're in North America, and it's not, um, letters and sounds that go beside each other a lot, versus Mm -hmm. some, like, Gaelic and Welsh, which has a very different, uh, groups of sounds in their words than, like, regular English. Yeah. True. Mm Mm-hmm. But, uh, camp blankets. Um, as I was researching this, I found it kind of funny that I was doing it and not you, since you are much more <laughs> on top of your camp blanket. Um, mm, yep. Yep. I, uh, I have one. It has a <laughs> handful of stuff, like, of crusts on it, but it was never something I really got into. Yeah, um, I, um, I'm sort of in the middle of, not a, I don't have a conundrum anymore, but I was in a conundrum in this spring because I thought I have this old blanket that I've had since I was about five. So since I was a spark mm-hmm. and it's fleece and it like, you know, has that stitching around the edges and it's like your traditional polar fleece. Um, but, and so I had started putting all my badges on there um, like two or three years ago when I was getting back into guiding, I had finished mm-hmm. university. I'm like, okay, I'm going to start doing this. And it technically has all the badges Oh, no, I hadn't finished that one yet. But anyway, this spring I was like, mm, you know what? I don't know if I want a camp blanket anymore. I think I want a camp poncho. Uh, so then I started the search to see, you know, what there is out there. And um, Scouts Canada has a nice polar fleece poncho. Mm-hmm. I was like, I think I'm going to buy that. But I'm sort of waiting to see if it'll go on sale before the fall. I don't know if it will. But I'm like, I kind of want to save money on it. I don't want to, like, buy it outright. Yeah. So I'm like sort of biding my time a little bit. It might never go on sale, but I was like sort of hoping like if it's not if it's not doesn't go on sale by the fall, then I'll just buy it. But I'm sort of just waiting to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I have a camp blanket for basically everything girl guiding that isn't doesn't have anything to do with traveling or international. Mm-hmm. And then last summer or last spring, I decided for my international badges that I wanted to have a jacket. Yeah. And I actually got the idea from, I was watching one of the Girl Guides of Canada Instagram stories and somebody had shared that they had done some of their badges on a denim jacket. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. I Mm -hmm. like that. Like you can wear it, 
but it's not like a poncho. It's like something a little bit lighter. Yeah. And so I was on the lookout for a, for a nice jacket, just like anywhere I could find one that was, you know, reasonable. And then I was at Old Navy and they had their clearance area and I found this jacket that was like perfect. It wasn't denim, which was nice because it, denim's quite heavy and mm-hmm. then in the rain it doesn't dry very quickly. Yeah. But I've got this other one and I, I love it. And I'm that one's pretty much complete up to date in terms of how many only badges that I want on there for now. I mean, it's still, this still got lots of space on it, but more trips. It's another it's sort of, yeah. And it's a unique way to show off your badges. And um, I actually inspired one of the girls on my trip. She's like, I really like your jacket. So she like bought something very similar. She bought like mm-hmm. a scout shop uh, shirt and she started putting her badges on it. And I was like, Oh, I'm like so happy that inspired somebody like, yeah, it's just, it's, different and that's how it inspired me I saw someone else wearing one and I was like yeah that's what I want to do yeah so uh camp blankets are a way to show off um your achievements in guiding or scouting and um the events that you've participated in because we do a ton of events um and do a lot of challenges and most challenges come with <laughs> crafts they can be used to display your badges that you earned in younger sections so I've seen a lot of people take their sash from like barks or brownies or guides and put it onto their camp blanket, mm-hmm. um, as well as neckerchiefs or mm-hmm. ties, as we call them in guiding in Canada. <laughs> um, so there's three main forms. There's a blanket, um, a traditional style poncho with like a hole in the middle. And a blanket with a slit, kind of, to make a cape. And then, like you were saying, um, a more modern take on the camp blanket or camp poncho is a jacket. Um, so, mm-hmm. a, like, plain jacket that is sturdy enough to um, hold up to camp. Um, and a fun, different way to put on, to show everything off. Um, yep. Camp blankets or ponchos or jackets or whatever you decide to make um, tend to be worn at campfires and sing-alongs where that extra layer is nice as, you know, in the summer um, or spring or fall whenever you're camping and the sun goes down and it starts getting chilly, especially in Canada where, you know, you can be (laughs) super warm and like the day like today and it's going to get chill like not chilly but I think it has to do with the fact that it gets damp here like yeah. at night especially it's been a hot day you it the humidity in the air cools down and it's like it's water and then the water makes you cold like I think that sort of idea yeah I also is... find that um like we get so much heat from the sun mm-hmm. that once the sun goes down like there's nothing that really holds that warmth um, and like, especially if you're camping or something, you're beside, you're beside water, which holds, mm, yeah. holds a lot longer. So it, um, cools off quite quickly. Um, so it's always nice to have like that extra layer. Um, and then they can be f- used as either a pillow or an extra blanket. Um, once you curl up in your tent at night, most camp blankets today are either, a wool blanket or a fleece blanket. Um, wool's more traditional, but heavier and more expensive um, and harder to work with versus fleece. 
which is a little easier for the kids and not as scratchy. Um, and where Camp Blankets comes from, nobody really knows. Um, but indigenous people tend to wear like an extra poncho around their campfires um, in the evening, the same sort of idea. So it might have been inspired by them. But mm. I couldn't really find any um, solid idea of where the camp blanket or camp poncho came from. Yeah, it's a very unique idea of putting, like, crests onto something like that. I mm-hmm. I would love to know who started that, because it's unique to guiding and scouting. Like, yeah. it's not something you see other, like, you don't see sports teams doing it. You don't see, like... I don't know, I can't even think of other organizations, right? Like, you just don't see it anywhere else. Yeah, and, like, I haven't really met many guides or scouts from um, other parts of the world. Mostly I know people from North America and Europe, where camp blankets are pretty uh, common. But I Mm -hmm. wonder in um, climates that are a little, you know, their temperature is a little bit more stable between day and night, if they had the same thing. Or if they do something different. Um, That's a good point. Um, I wish I had asked, thought to ask that this that last summer. Um, because we met, I met a group from Jordan. There was a small group from Jordan at the camp. Mm-hmm. And I bet you, like, they don't have camp blankets. Um, the interesting thing, too, about the whole jacket thing for instead of a camp blanket is that scouts, um, all over the world often like they wear shirts like with collars like it's mm-hmm. a collared shirt cotton usually and um, they put their badges all over their shirts like and yeah. in some countries it really depends um, you have certain places where you have to put the badges other countries it's like free form you can put them wherever mm-hmm. it really depends on what organization you're with but I wonder if that's um, part of maybe that's what they do alternatively or that's just, you know, they just don't have that sort of idea of getting to put the extra fun badges everywhere. Um, yeah. So I know in yeah. the States, um, the younger Girl Scouts, um, Daisies, uh, they have vests that they can put their badges on. Yeah. Um, and I think it, you know, as you get older, you can continue to go with a vest or switch to a sash. But, yeah, it's, you know... All I know is, you know, it's very North American, European. I'm curious if anyone else out there, um, some of our international listeners, write in, let us know. Um, Especially the ones, um, Australia, New Zealand, like, yeah, they have winter, like, right now they're in mm -hmm. winter, but I don't think it gets nearly as cold as it gets here in winter. Like, they're just much much closer to the equator than we are. So I'd be curious about, yeah, countries like that, any... Buddy in Africa or that, South America, yeah. anyone close enough to the equator where it gets like fairly warm all year round. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. one thing that Good question everyone has, no matter what your climate you live in is, <laughs> is swaps. So yeah, I had never heard this before until I was doing my research that swaps is a acronym. That stands for special whatchamacallits affectionately pinned by pinned somewhere. Um, which is super cute. I like that. And I mm-hmm. have a feeling that it, you know, is something that 
you know, someone came up with the name after the fact. Um, <laughs> just a feeling I have, but who knows? Um, and swaps often represent experiences in um, a guide's or a scout's life, um, and they're brought to events and camps that provide memories and can be brought home as gifts for friends. When I think of, like, a swap, um, especially a pinned swap, I think of hat crafts. Um, yeah. <laughs> which are always super cute. But one of my favorite swaps I've, I've ever been given was uh, a couple summers ago, I guess two summers ago now, when the uh, girls from York were over, or Yorkshire, I guess, were over, they gave me a um, keychain that is like those big wooden beads and some paracord and they made it into a little girl. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen those. Um, which is definitely one of my favorite swaps and super cute and whenever I grab my keys, so multiple times every day, um, I always smile and think back to Aww. hanging out with them for, I only hung out with them for a couple days, but it was a good trip. I had a lot of fun. That is really cool. That's a cute thing to have. Yeah, I think um, the first time I was exposed to swaps was likely in, uh, I want to say it was when I went to summer camp at Kuwaitin, because I think part of it was when we went to Mosaic on a visitor's trip in 2006. Um, of course, at Mosaic, people are swapping. They're the little, these little crafts. These little what you call it, um, that you know people trade as like a token of friendship, as a token of like I've met you, like mm-hmm. this is something that I made um, to give to you, like just as a token of that. And um, uh, I think maybe I got a couple when I was at Kiwaden through Mosaic or something, just given to us because we were visitors. I think some people were just you know very kind and gave them. Um, and then when I went to Mosaic in 2010, before I like prepared tons of swaps because I like <laughs> was taught like this is what you do, right? Yeah. This is what, especially in Canada, I think it's a huge thing in Canada for girl guides. Definitely um, is. We like love to make these things, and in um, the U.S. too. And um, I made like little laminated postcards, like these <laughs> retro-looking postcards of like Ontario. Um, I also because camp was themed by um eras and throughout our like different decades Mm -hmm. we were in the 80s camp so I made little pac-man ghosts out of perler beads and like (laughs) just put a pin on the back and people loved them and I should have made more but I didn't know ahead of time yeah those were like fun swaps that people love to have on their hats um yeah so I got a lot of fun things um I remember one that I had always dreamed of getting it sounds really weird to say that but um I remember seeing people with these um like shrunk up um, potato chip bags and oh, yeah. you could they were like the snack size they weren't like a big bag and they weren't the tiny Halloween ones they were like the in-between size that you can get at like a convenience store and you basically um, people would just shrink them in the oven I know there was like some controversy about whether that was okay or not to do but um, anyway I ended up being able to just trade uh, with someone for that at Mosaic and I still nice. have it on my hat and uh, every time I wear my hat, people are like, ooh, I really like that. I'm like, yeah. And they always ask how you do it. And I'm like, I think I want to try doing it one time because I'm an adult and I can safely do it without, you know, having to worry. But those ones seem to be really popular, the ones like the chip bag ones or yeah, 
I'm trying to think of other fun popular ones. Um, one of my favorites that I see a lot is um, donut seeds, which oh, yeah. are <laughs> um, Cheerios in a little uh, bag. Um, oh, the bedroll. Everyone does a bedroll somewhere. Yeah. Like either rolling up a piece of foam or like a piece of felt. Little... Yeah, they're cute. Those ones are cute. They're like, they're basically what they are, like those kinds of swaps, because there's tons of different swaps. Mm-hmm. Those you can get, like, there's the, just the theme of making miniatures of everything. Yeah. So I've seen, like, little, um, oh, what else have I seen? I think I've seen, oh, I can, like, imagine the pieces. Oh, I've seen little lanterns, like little camp lanterns, and they use, like, a little miniature, like, medicine cup, and it has, like, other bits to it, too. So it's just, like, cute little things that remind mm-hmm. you of camp. I have one, I think, still that on my hat. That is um, somebody just on a piece of, like, paper. They squirted out um, hot glue, and they put little googly eyes on it, I think. <laughs> and they called it, like, a ghost. Or they just left it, I think, maybe in a pile and called it ghost poop. It might not have had the eyes on it then if it was ghost poop. But I was like, that one's so funny. It's just it's a cute little yeah, thing. Yeah, they're fun little crafts that, you know, you can definitely chuckle about they're definitely cute um and they're so easy like easy to make and easy to give away yeah um I actually have a Pinterest board of swaps (laughs) to make (laughs) like as a meeting idea to just make all these swaps but like the thing about making swaps is that you have to sort of have a an event or a reason to make them for otherwise you're just like stuck with all these like little crafts and you're like I need a place to use these yeah um, and it's definitely a very, because they're so small and simple, you can have, mm-hmm. be very social while you're making them, um, which girls always like. They like being able to have that craft that they can still just hang out with their friends and chat while they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I know um, I was searching one time also for swap ideas, and I think it's American sites. They There's these sites where they, like, have all the materials you need to make the swaps like in a package and then you can purchase these packages and make tons of them so yeah it's bizarre there's a whole like business out of it too it's wild yeah um so the other side of swaps um is badge and pin trading yes um which is definitely not as labor intensive beforehand (laughs) um Definitely more labor-intensive afterwards, as you yeah. possibly put them <laughs> onto your camp blanket. Or keep them in a giant pile, like I have. In um, a block bag, somewhere. <laughs> yep. Um, so, badges, pins, and other insignia um, are awarded for completing program, doing challenges, and uh, doing awards. Um... And they are treasured, they are treasure awards um, showing the hard work and dedication to guiding and typically displayed, displayed on sashes, uniforms, or pin tabs. The term badge, crest, and patch is pretty interchangeable, um, especially badge and patch, um, where, like, we'll call badges what the girls earn through meetings, um, Americans will tell, call those crests, or patches, sorry, and crests are from challenges or um, events, which is fun. 
Um, and they can all be uh, traded or swapped. Um, so a couple years ago, as we've talked about, Canada changed our, like, completely changed our programming. And guiders who had old badges just used those as swaps because it was quick and easy and already had them. Mm -hmm. Patches and crests are not um, earned badges, um, but they, you know, sorry, I just lost my place. I'm still tired. Um, patches <laughs> and crests, however, are not the same as earned badges. Uh, though in some instances, such as camps or cookie selling, they are earned, um, and they're more often, um, bought or traded for. Uh, mm -hmm. crests, patches, and, uh, badges are small pieces of sturdy fabric upon which a design is stitched, embroidered, or printed. Um, and they come in all shapes, sizes, colors... Basically, anything you can think of, that's, you know, what a crest can be. They are widely sought after, and um, definitely people are huge collectors of them. They're a lot, like, they're the guiding version of Pokemon or baseball cards. Yeah, like, I know I have a bag full of crests. Everyone I know in guiding has a bag full of crests. Or a box, or multiple blankets. Um... And crests can be uh, for geographical location, events, scouting, um, guiding related topics, or uh, anything in between. Yeah, so I know there were, there have been a lot of COVID-inspired crests out there <laughs> um, from all over the world. I've seen a ton on Twitter between, you know, everyone trying to keep guiding and scouting going through these crazy times. Um, I have some awesome crests from when I was a participant on trips. Um, I remember when I went to the first guiding mosaic in Guelph, we had to put our crest on the top of our hat. That was the only way Tina could find us, because they gave us our hats, right? <laughs> um, so you yeah. imagine however many girls in each village, <laughs> how do you find your group? Um, so we safety pinned our crest to the top of our hat. Um, but I remember, like, spending a <laughs> lot of time with my group trying to decide what theme of our crest we are going with and everything. Um, and we were supposed to have a lone girl from, um, Hawaii join us who dropped out for some Ooh. reason. Yeah. Um, but Aww. so we had girls from... Ontario, Calgary, and Hawaii. So we ended up coming up with Aloha because it was an act. Somehow we made it into an acronym. Um, it was super cute. We had. It was really nice. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what other crests I've had through the years. Can you think of any? Yeah, I actually have. I have two in mind. So. One that I always rave about and love and tell people um, is the BC. BC makes really great crests. I'll just say mm -hmm. it now. The BC Council, you guys have incredible crests. Even your units make really incredible crests. I'm just, like, always in awe at, like, the unique designs. And my favorite is the Orca. And people will know what I'm talking about. It's 
an orca whale. The crest is in the actual shape of the whale. And um, mine is from Mosaic, so it says Guiding Mosaic 2010, but it is a beautiful crest. Um, and I love it. That one's one that I cherish. Um, I love badges that are unique like that, where they take the shape of, like, something unique rather than just having a circle or a square yeah. or, like, a rectangle. It's um, it's a little bit more fun. And um, so I'm a huge collector. I'm a huge collector swapper. Like, it's people know me for that and therefore will, like, find crests for me or mm-hmm. give me crests. Um but I also really like my favorite ones are event crests. So it makes like, I don't know, you have a connection to it, right? You're like, I went there and that's a memory. Therefore, like from that badge, I can remember what happened. I can remember sometimes who gave it to me if I traded for it or if it's like one that you earned. Um, and my favorites are always from the camp that we do in the fall called co-op camp because every yeah. year it's a different theme. And they are beautiful crests, again. Um, they're not so unique in their shape. Um, sometimes that costs extra, so they, you know, to cut down on costs, you make it really simple, like mm-hmm. circle or square. Um, but they're always so cool, um, and I love all of them. And I just have, like, a line of them going down my blanket, and it's just, like, something that I look forward to keep building onto to have all of them. But, yeah, they've got some really unique designs. Um, yeah. There's, it was a Star Wars camp that they did one year and that one's really cool um i'll take some pictures and share them on the instagram because i think that would be fun mm-hmm. um i still also have quite a few swaps on my hat so i'll take a picture of that which yeah. you might have seen me wearing in a post that i did for the tall trees video mm-hmm. i was wearing my camp hat so there's some there's some cool swaps on there yeah i uh definitely still have my bag of swaps from when i was traveling and stuff um and i will pull that out and go through it because I'm sure I have some pretty cool ones that I haven't looked at in like 10 years I always find it really enjoyable to like take out that bag even if you haven't worked on it yet and like just go through the memories I just it's I find it really enjoyable to just be like oh yeah and I got this one from that person and you know yeah it's really fun um and I've been watching along on Twitter um Girl Guiding UK had a so a long challenge for a lot of COVID um, and it was uh, getting uh, encouraging people to use you know all of their newfound free time to you know finally sew <laughs> all their badges on their blanket um, so there are some yep. pretty cool photo like before and after and in progress photos of people you know their piles slowly shrinking and their blanket getting completed <laughs> um and instead of doing that, I decided to also sew, but cross-stitch and make a different kind mm-hmm. of pretty thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say on swaps and badges and blankets, do you, Marissa? No, although, you know what, I actually thought about something this week, mm-hmm. and it's that um, if any of you are interested, because postage isn't that much... Um, and maybe internationally it's a bit more, but I'd be willing to swap if anyone is interested in swapping badges virtually this way. Like, we can send it through the mail. I'd yeah. love to, like, send you a badge and then get one back. Like, I think that would be so much fun because yeah. I can't go to camps. We can't go to events. Like, if you guys are interested, I have quite a few swaps or quite a few badges, I should say, crests, whatever, mm-hmm. um, on my hands. And if anyone's interested in getting a Canadian one or if you're already in Canada you'd like to get one from Ontario yeah or if you're already in Ontario get one just from where we live 
um, I'd totally be interested. So I'd ah. say, like, if you want to, message us, and we'll we'll show you what we've got to swap. Definitely. I know I still have extras from my trips that I've done, um, and way back when, when we still had community, not communities, areas, I still have some of um, yes. my old area stuff hidden away somehow. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And maybe one day if we get big enough that we have merch, we can make our own guide's own Twitter <sighs> crest or badge. I um, have like visions. <laughs> <laughs> I know because I designed, um, I designed the trip quest trip crest for my unit or for my troop uh, patrols last year on the mm -hmm. trip um so that was a fun process i also designed the one for my unit when we went to Fanny mosaic because i we were told to bring our ideas or our designs and i was the only one who brought them <laughs> any so mine was just automatically picked and yeah. i still have some of those as well so nice. Um, that is my passion. I also, our trailblazer link in Trefoil is looking for some designs. So I think I'll be doing some of those just because yeah. it's something I like to do. Um, I find it really enjoyable. Yeah, we always did a brainstorm meeting for ours. And then we had a couple of really artistic people, not me, definitely not <laughs> me, um, who would then design them. And they always came up with amazing designs. It's, yeah, it's something that I love to do. I love design and on top of, like, um, I'm in marketing, digital marketing, um, but I also love design. So um, I can get a little bit into the drawing and the digital design as well. So mm -hmm. I love Crest, too. It's it's so much fun. Mm -hmm. I love coming up with the ideas. I love making them unique. And, like, even though it costs a little extra, I love the idea of making unique shapes as well. But I just i am so in awe at what comes out of people's um, imaginations to see what they can come up with for these events it's, or trips. It's incredible. Definitely. Yeah. So I don't have a transition for she was a girl guide, you know. So <laughs> let's talk about Tanya Gray Thompson. Nancy Reagan, Helen Hayes, Jan Davis, John Sauvet, Carrie Fisher, William's sister, Shirley Temple Black. Tammy Duckworth, Kathy Frost, Candace Bergen, Lucille Ball, Debbie Reynolds, Princess Margaret, Hillary Clinton. Did you know she was a girl guide? Busting down the door a hundred years or more. Did you know she was a girl guide? Here to let you know she was a guide you know. Did you know she was a girl guide? I did the research for her this week, so learned quite a bit about her. Um, so she is a Welsh former girl guide, um, and she is most known for being Britain, one of Britain's greatest Paralympic athletes. Um, and she is now a politician, a coach, and a mother as well. Um, so she was born on July 26th. 1969 in Cardiff, Wales. Um, her name when she was born was Caris Davina, um, but her two-year-old sister, Sharn, first saw her like when she was born and decided to nickname her Tiny because she was so <laughs> small. Um, and then that morphed into the name Tammy, and then she just kept it. Um, I think she just liked it, liked yeah. it a little bit better. Um they, they have, they both of them, her and her sister, have traditional, like, Welsh names, which are sort of hard to pronounce. I did my best. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 
they can be sort of hard, right? Um, so I think maybe she took that into consideration too. It's just maybe a little bit easier to pronounce for mm-hmm. other people. Although, I mean, I'm also in the school of thought that like you should totally keep your name the way it is and like get people to just learn how to pronounce it. Like I think some of those names are so beautiful. Yeah, like, I like I remember until I started university, I hated my name because so many people just couldn't pronounce it. And growing up, it's not like I grew up in a very, like, I grew up in a fairly multicultural area with other unusual names, so I don't know how Taryn was so hard, but I had, like, teachers who couldn't figure out how to pronounce my name. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, really? I, not I never had that, that problem, hard. but I remember... I remember some teachers just had so much trouble with the simple names. I didn't. I wouldn't think Taryn would be hard, but yeah, man, if they ever met met someone who was Welsh and had their names are ridiculous. Yeah, like people would always put the stress on the wrong part, like on the second half, on um, or like I got called Karen a lot. Um, oh. Yeah, um, and then. At my current job, uh, a couple weeks before I got hired, my boss hired someone named Karen. So we had Taryn and Karen in the oh. office. So that was a fun year or so. Um, yeah, so I can imagine Tanny must have had some of that difficulty at first. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, there she grew up in Wales, so, I mean, it probably would have been all right. Um, yeah, so she was known as Tanny from then on, and she was actually also born with spina bifida, spina bifida um, and was confined to a wheelchair from the age of seven. Um, so, you know, sort of not the greatest start to life. I guess she's already experienced quite a big obstacle mm-hmm. early on. Um, but what was nice is that her parents were really supportive of her and always encouraged to be independent um she wanted to be independent she had sort of this streak going of like yeah i'm gonna be independent um and that was sort of evidenced through her schooling so she attended a primary school um called birch grove and she was at that point she was determined to find out for herself what she could and couldn't do by being in a wheelchair um and Unfortunately, her parents had a really long battle with the local authority to get her a secure place at a mainstream school. Um, there weren't specific details about what that sort of meant, but I, I'm imagining, knowing the little that I do about schools over in the UK, is that you have to apply to get into certain schools. Like, mm-hmm. your parents have to apply for their kids. And sometimes, like, it's a lot harder to get into the prestigious schools and there's certain things that they look for. And, and it's like... I'd imagine it's to do with academics um, yeah. and performance. But um, I think her problem was that having the accessibility, and I think maybe people thought that Tanny wouldn't be able to do as much as she, they were looking for out of a student. Um, but they had trouble getting her in to a mainstream place. Um, but then she did end up getting in. Yeah. She ended up um, attending St. Cyrus Comprehensive in Penarth, and it was there, um, actually, that she first discovered an interest in sports um so that was ended up working really well for her in the Mm -hmm. end um so after trying many sports throughout her school time she realized that wheelchair racing was the one that she wanted to do so at the age of 13 she already started like racing in a wheelchair um 
and about I, while she was still in school, she did have major surgery um, to get a metal rod grafted onto her spine. Um, so, you know, very intense mm-hmm. um, and a lot of recovery time. Um, but in her last year as a junior athlete, she ended up winning the junior national title um, for the over 100 meter race. Nice. Um, and then at 17, she joined the Rookwood Paraplegic Club in Cardiff. And she also became part of the British wheelchair racing squad. So that really started up her competitive career. Definitely. So things were starting to get going and she was finding some success. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, she ended up then attending um, Lowborough University, where she earned a BA in politi- politics and social administration. She graduated in 1991. Um, so, yeah, she started her athletic career shortly after Um so, over 16 years in five Paralympic Games, um, she ended up amassing a medal haul of 11 gold, four silver, and one bronze. So, she had 16 medals in total from just the Paralympics, which is really impressive. Um, she definitely had a lot of success. Yeah. Um, her first Paralympics were in Seoul in 1988. So that was even before she graduated from university. So she was still like studying when she attended her first Olympics. That's crazy. But uh, like, how many yeah. athletes do you and, hear about who are, you know, that young and so accomplished? Yeah, it's certainly um, something to be proud of. Um, and even at that Olympics, she ended up winning bronze in 400 meters. So she got to come home with a medal, um, which I would imagine would be really exciting to get to come home to and, like, show your friends and family, like, I got to represent my country and I come home with this. Like, a lot of people believe that the Olympics and the Paralympics are, like, basically the top tier of sporting and athletics, like, over the world. It is, like, one of the biggest accomplishments. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she got a lot um, in that, out of that um, from her schooling. It was good that she got a good start. Um, and I think that really, you know, helped her to keep going then, having that first Olympic medal. Yeah. Um, so then in 1992, um, a couple, a few years later, she won her first London wheelchair marathon. Um, and she actually ended up to go on to win five more of them. So she had a total of six first place finishes. And what I find really impressive is that she did that within a 10-year span. She won six of them in 10 years. That's so crazy. from 1992 to 2002. Yeah, it's very right. impressive. The craziest um, thing is that she won that last one, her sixth in 2002, only three months after giving birth for her daughter. Crazy. Yeah. I saw that and I was like, oh my goodness, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how they do it, but they somehow, there are women out there who are able to like get up in a few weeks after giving birth and they're just like, they go out and get what they, what they want, what they've been dreaming of, what they've been working so hard on. Definitely. It's, yeah. Insane. Um, and then that same year, 1992, um, she went to the Barcelona Paralympics and she won four gold medals. Um, all in the 100, the 200, the 400, and the 800 meter. And she also won a silver in the 4 by 100 meter relay. Um, and at that Paralympics, she became the first woman to break the 60 second record for 400 meter. So crazy. she was certainly fast. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the fastest in the field at that point in time. So, yeah. Ooh, 
it's amazing. Um, yeah, and then there were at least two more Paralympics that she attended. So she went to the um, Atlanta Paralympics in 1996 and won gold in 800 meter, along with three more silver medals in 100, 200, and 400 meter. Um, and then in Sydney, she also went in 2000 to the Paralympics. She won another four gold medals, again, in the 100, 200, 400, 800 meter. Um, and it was that year that the performances that she had in Sydney um, earned her the BBC Wales Sport Personality of the Year. Um, and it was because of her enthusiasm and determination in the face of her physical handicap that has made her an international sporting hero and increased awareness of Paralympic sports. Um, so, wow, right? Like, that. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible what she's is able to do in that time. And then um, her final Paralympics were in 2004 in Athens, where she was still able to win gold um, in the 100 and 200 meter. Um, I think that's really impressive to go yeah. out. Yeah. Um, still winning and still being top of your field. I think some athletes sort of retire and they don't have that opportunity to go out like strong. Mm-hmm. They sort of, you know, peter out. I think Tani was really impressive to be able to do that, to be able to still hold strong and go yeah. out the way she did. And some sports definitely have, uh, um, they're less physically demanding in some aspects. So you're able to compete for longer. Um, and I don't know a lot about wheelchair sports, but I wonder if wheelchair racing is one of those that, you know, your body can hold up a little bit better to the, uh, wear and tear and strain of training and being at the top of your, um, top of your, uh, choose, chosen sport. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't know much about the sport itself um i have however tried wheelchair basketball um mm-hmm. that was a meeting that i did with pathfinders one year um and it's intense like for your first time there's a lot that you have to be careful of i always find that first of all your arms get tired because you're not used to using them that way yeah um and the other thing is that you gotta watch your fingers too like it's so easy to jam your fingers it's so easy to get an injury so yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of work that goes behind it. and um, But who knows, yeah, right, that you're not using certain parts of your body that maybe get injured and more strain put on them. I know, mm-hmm. like, for a lot of people, a lot of athletes, one of the biggest things you always hear about are, like, ACL injuries. Yeah. And, Hamstrings. Like, anything to do with your legs, right? Like, it's, it can be, like, career-ending. Whereas, yeah. like, your upper body, um, maybe not as much. I mean, there's still definitely injuries and they can be career ending, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was the unique sport and she was able to hold on for as long as she did and keep in shape. And she also, you know, she, she knew the time when she needed to leave. So she had actually announced her retirement pending on the 27th of February in 2007. Um, and she knew that her last appearance for Great Britain would be at the May's Paralympic world cup in Manchester um so you know she I think she knew her time she knew how much she could go and then you know had basically announced her retirement that was going to be coming up later that year yeah yeah um thankfully she was able to go on and continue sort of with her connection in sports and with Paralympics um she married she met and married Ian Thompson 
um, who is a research chemist and also a wheelchair athlete, on the 1st of May in 1999. So that was still while she was um, still racing, still in the Paralympics. Um, what I thought was really cute was that they chose their honeymoon spot in Senpak, uh, Switzerland, because it was good for their training. That is super um, cute. I'm imagining all the all the hills and stuff like they mm-hmm. probably or maybe they had a facility who knows but <laughs> the fact that they chose it on that I thought was kind of funny yeah um and then um they had a daughter Carrie's and she is involved in sport as well and her parents have now sort of taken on the role of becoming her taxi drivers and the sport team um now that their careers in sport have sort of finished in terms of their performance um mm-hmm. they're able to support their daughter and um, Tanny also um, met a girl named Jade Jones Hall at a school sports day um, where she and her husband had actually encouraged Jade to try out a racing chair and to try out racing. Um, and actually, within a few weeks, Jade was training under them and beginning to enter competitive meets um, in 2009. That's crazy. Um, and she's, she's a big name in Paralympic racing um, over there. So that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's gone on to represent her country, which is England, by competing in many international events, including both the 2012 and, excuse me, 2016 Paralympic Games. So she's also found success. Um, and she won medals also at the 2014 and 2018 Commonwealth Games and at several of the European Championships. So Jade is finding success, and thankfully she's got really good coaches, um, yeah. both Ian and Tanny are very supportive of her and you know have shown her this other like facet of her life that she can find success in Mm -hmm. um and you know I think maybe if she hadn't met them and she hadn't been shown what wheelchair racing was she might not have even ever come to it yeah or realized um she had potential there definitely yeah um so then Tani also had um a political career and she is still very much involved in politics um in 2010 she became an independent peer on the recommendation of the house of lords appointments commission in the british house of lords um so that probably sounded really weird to you if you have no idea what you know how parliament works in the uk um, um, i will explain it all i know is or- everything i learned in a scandal around conrad black like 10 years ago (laughs) and that is like my whole knowledge on the house of lords (laughs) yeah so if you're like me and or taryn like i came in knowing nothing so i'll give you just a brief idea of what tanny does and you know how she was selected so the house of lords is the upper house of the parliament in the united kingdom so um they have a house of commons but then they have this which is i think referred to as the lower house but then there's the upper house which is the house of lords um, Which would be similar Lords, to our... Unlike the House of... Sorry. The House of Lords, the upper house, would be similar no, to Canada's Senate. Just to give, you so, know, Canadian um, listeners it, context. Yeah. So the way it works is that the House of Lords um, are appointed by the monarch on advice of the Prime Minister. Or they are given that recommendation or that position by the House of Lords Appointments Commission, which is often referred to as HOLAC, H-O-L-A-C. Um... So that's unlike the House of Commons, where people are voted into the House of Commons based on, you know, where they were voted in by writings. Um, 
Basically, the power that the House of Lords has is they can scrutinize bills that have been approved by the House of Commons, um, and they also regularly review and amend bills from the Commons. So um, while they're not able to prevent bills from passing into law, um, except in like some certain like limited circumstances, they can delay bills and they can force the Commons to reconsider the, their decisions. So they do have certain influential powers that way. They just don't have like true political power in terms of actually making um, final decisions and passing things through. They just have sort of influence. Um, and I, I would believe I don't didn't read anything about why she was selected, but I would imagine it's because of her experience. Um, and uh, there's actually like she um, uses her experience and knowledge during debates in the House to speak on many issues, but a lot of them include disability rights, um, welfare reform, and sport. So mm -hmm. she uses that experience. I believe that would probably be why she was selected, just based on who she is, what she's experienced in her life, what she, you know, is most passionate about um, yeah. speaking on, those things that she has influence in. Um, and for this position, for becoming this independent peer, she also got a new title, um, which was the Baroness Gray Thompson of Eagles Cliff. And Eagles Cliff is where she lives with her um, family. So it's a very cool way to get a very um, high titled name. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's her political career. She's still in that position now. So she'll still make, um, uh, have influence on that. Um, yeah, and she spent a lot of her career um, now volunteering. Um, so she had a lot of you know, connections and ties to sports. So that's, you know, a lot of those things that she decided to continue on in after her sporting career. So she, um, while she was still competitive, though, she sat on the board for the National Disability Council, um, the Sports Council for Wales, um, and the board of the London Marathon, which is really cool. And she did that one for um, just over nine years. And was also on the board for transport for London um, for 10 years. So these are all things where she like she definitely has interests, has experience, has knowledge, and mm -hmm. is able to give a viewpoint that maybe people often don't think about. Like I find that last one, the transport for London. So that's like that's like your local transit commission yeah. or area. So like in Toronto, the TTC, the Toronto Transit Commission. It's like sitting on that and telling people as someone who has a disability, you're able to tell them what you're, what people are needing, you know, where they're lacking, mm -hmm. where they can improve service. Like just, um, it's a very beneficial thing to be on if you're in that position and can be influential because she also had this great big career. So people are maybe a little bit more willing to listen to her than they would be to just any old person just who has a disability and uses the, uses the transport. Yeah. Like, they don't necessarily have the credentials to back their opinions up, mm -hmm. but like someone like Tani can definitely have an influence. Yeah. And having um, yeah. that advocacy and like, it's very clear that, you know, she has found that voice and, you know, is willing to use it and use her, um, like Olympic or Paralympic, um, history to kind of flex her muscles a little and, get people to listen and hopefully um people are actually listening like what we talked about a few weeks ago with um <laughs> inclusion like 
making sure she's actually listened to um, and not just there to be politically correct. But I, just from mm-hmm. like what you've said, I have a feeling that she's not going to sit down and, you know, be told to just be quiet and smile. She's definitely seems like the kind of woman who is going to stand and up and make her voice heard. Which seems to be a trend amongst all these women that we are profiling and talking about. It's just who you are, and that's what makes you stand out, is when you're strong enough to stand up and speak for what you know is right and what should be made right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so in addition to that experience, like being able to volunteer and still in those sporting aspects, she's also a patron of many charities some of which include um, being a UNICEF ambassador and um, being a patron of the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, which, if you're a Girl Guide, Boy Scout, you will most likely recognize because many Girl Scouts and Girl Guides and Boy Scouts um, go after that award um, and try to earn it because it aligns very closely to the Girl Guiding, Boy Scouting program. You can get a lot of the work done already through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I had a couple of friends who were going after it when I was in Rangers. Um, I think the age range goes up to the age of, it might be 25 or something. 25, or it might be 30, I can't remember. 26. But yeah, it's somewhere in there. And you've got like, you can start it in high school and you can finish it when you're still in university and after. But it's, um, it's very much like, it's similar to getting the highest award in Rangers, so like the Gold Chief Commissioner's Award. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit more to do though with the Duke of Edinburgh, Edinburgh but it's paperwork. like the same sort of activities. Yeah, which is why I, I don't that. have mine. Uh, much to the chagrin okay, of many here. people in my life. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there's four. You know what? We'll save it. We'll do a whole topic on the Duke of Ed. Yeah. So, but just know that it's a very similar sort of idea, but it's a little bit more work. But it's, I mean, a lot of people think it's worth it um, to have that sort of award. Mm-hmm. Just because it shows, you know, how much experience and knowledge and abilities you have to go after these these things. Yeah, um, so that's cool. She's part of that. Um, she is also a patron of Zoe's Place, which is a baby hospice, um, a charity for sick kids and young children. So that's sort of nice. I think maybe from her own childhood, growing up with spina bifida um, and having carrying that throughout her life, that was probably a reason why she yeah joined something like that. I'm sure she knew a lot of people who unfortunately passed away uh, at a young age. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so as we said, she in terms of awards and world records, um, she did win the London Marathon six times in her career. Um, she also broke a total of 30 world records. That's a lot. Um, and she's broken records at the 100, the 200, the 400, the 800 meter. She's also broken records in the 1500 and 5000 meter record um, races. That's far. Um, and also in a 10K race, um, oh she broke a record. It's, it's crazy. And in the half marathon. So like... It proves that she's really great and, like, can race, like, in all those distances and break records. Like, she's a great racer, or she was, you know, yeah. when she was in her career still. Because traditional... It's super impressive. Yeah, traditional racers, um, you either are sprinter or longer distance. Like, you don't have very many sprinters who will, like, even attempt to run a mile. 
um, mm-hmm. let alone, you know, go back and forth between doing sprints and marathons. It's a totally different training and a totally different mindset because on a sprint, like, you can put all your power out in that one go, mm-hmm. whereas when you're doing long distance, you have to have, like, a different mindset. You have to have, like, a different plan on how you're going to approach the race. So, yeah, yeah, you don't hear a lot of both short and long distance runners or racers of any kind. Um, I think she's definitely maybe unique and maybe wheelchair racing is a little bit different that way, too. Maybe you can be more um, dynamic that way. Mm hmm. But, yeah, she's impressive either way. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Before her title of Baroness, though, she did become a dame in 2005 um, in reward for her services to sport and was given so by the order of the British Empire. So um, in in her context, being named dame is, well, dame is a name of respect, um, but it's also used to denote female members holding a rank that is equivalent to the male rank of knight. So when you hear of people getting knighted and you hear of people like there are often people of high importance or like have done really big things in the world, they get knighted and it's a big thing and then you see it in the news. So for the females, it's you're being like, you're sort of knighted, but you're, it's a, you're, you get the title of dame yeah. um, in certain contexts. Um, yeah. And then, like I said, she was renamed a Baroness when she got her position in the House of Lords. So she gave up the Dame title and became Baroness. Um, yeah, and she's also been awarded with a very long list of honorary degrees. Um, I counted them, and there's 28, which is ridiculous. That's a lot. Um, and they're all from a number of academic institutions in the UK. Um, so she's very celebrated over there. and I mean, it's clear to see why. It's... Uh, She's very, very talented and, you know, great person who speaks up for a lot of great things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she was also um, named a chancellor um, in 2015 of Northumbria University. I believe she's still in that position. Um, she's still on their website, so I'm assuming yes. Um, and she's also been named um, Sportswoman of the Year, Woman of the Year in general, um, Pride of Britain Award and was also inducted by His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales into the Stoke Mandeville Hall of Fame, um, which is the Hall of Fame that celebrates great names in British wheelchair sport. So cool. very specific, but it's really cool to be inducted by a member of the royal family. Yeah. Wow. I always think that's impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's wasn't any mention of her being in Girl Guides, but um, for those of you who are curious, and I looked it up, um, because I knew Welsh Girl Guiding is sort of separate from UK Girl Guiding, but they use the same sort of branding, so it looks similar. But they're called, um, and I had to look at the pronunciation to get mm-hmm. this right, it's um, Girl Guiding Cymru, um, which Cymru is Welsh for Wales. So it's the Welsh Girl Guiding Association, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, it was super cool. It was great to learn about a former girl guide who wasn't from North America or, like, England, mm-hmm. which seems to be who, when we originally started looking, like, all the names that we found were from those places. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, also such an amazing 
Paralympic who never let anything stop her apparently um and she just kept mm-hmm. going and blowing everybody away because I'm assuming you're going to have a pretty strong uh draft behind you if you're going that fast 400 was it 400 <sighs> meters in 60 seconds you'd definitely be creating a yeah it's that. crazy right yeah so fast <laughs> I um, mean you could probably go really fast on wheels, faster than you could probably run on feet. But, uh, so probably. impressive. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um, so, staying in the UK, we're going to go on to a campfire, which is the Sussex Campfire Opening. Sussex Campfire opening, we're going back to a song that has absolutely no history. <laughs> I was looking for it, um, like versions of it online, um, because I remember singing it, but I couldn't remember the tune off the top of my head. Um, and I found some um, on YouTube under the Sussex Campfire opening. And I found some videos just under campfire opening, um, but nothing else other than the words and music are by someone named M. Charter. Mm-hmm. So. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful song. Like, I remember singing it um, all the time. It's probably one of my favorite campfire openings. It's so simple. Um, it's only three or four lines depending how you split the lines up um and I remember singing it in a round and it's just very calm and yeah I like it um I don't know if I've heard it before this um it sort of sounds like a song that's familiar but I don't have any recollection of like learning it um I did find a version that Girl Guides of Canada got from somewhere. I like dug deep and found a version. And it's really pretty and it's sung by a group of women and it's like sung in rounds. And I really like the way they've done it in the rounds. It's like they one one part sings the whole like song through and then they go back to the beginning and start again and then the second part comes in and sings like the second starts at the second yeah. line. And then the third part comes in, they start at the third line and it just sounds really cool. Yeah, um, so instead of a it. traditional nice. round, they kind of build a harmony um, singing it a few mm-hmm. times over. But yeah, it's very pretty, um, and it's so simple, and come, like, any good campfire song, it's, you know, short and sweet, and gets to the point. It's, you know, come, hang out, let's sing songs, tell stories, um, and yeah. sit around a fire. So I guess that brings us to the end of another episode um subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform spotify apple podcasts google podcasts uh and wherever you find us um give us a five-star rating interview let us know that you're listening and enjoying um and send us a message uh see if we want to do Mm -hmm. some swapping yeah i'll see if i can i'll definitely in the meantime i'll 
find take some photos with my blankets and my hats and uh, you can see the kind of badges that we're collecting um and yeah just make sure you're following us then on social media that's where we'll post the stuff um we're at guide zone on twitter instagram we're also on facebook um and i'll also keep you up to date on the newest episodes any podcast news and more behind the scenes bits um you week after week seem to love the behind the scenes bit so i mm-hmm. keep posting them um it's just i think it's fun to see what people are actually getting up to behind the episodes so yeah. you all enjoy them i'll keep posting them i've got a regular schedule up now so <laughs> I, i'm catching up and will soon be up to date um but yeah make sure you yeah send us a message if you're interested um and even if you're not Send us a message anyway and just let us know, like, where you're listening because we both love hearing that. Yeah. Um, we can see, like, the stats sometimes on Anchor, but, like, it doesn't really tell you the story of who you are and, you know, why you're listening. Um, mm-hmm. It's like that message that we got from Eloise that was so exciting. So, you yeah, know, feel free to send us a message. Um, and as we part, we wish you all good guiding. Good guiding. Day is done, gone the sun. From the lake, from the hills, from the sky, all is well, safely rest, peace is nigh.